Ladies and gentlemen, I mean, tonight is a healing message. Come on in the room. Come on in the room. Come on in the room. I have been studying and some parts of this message, I'm like, Holy Spirit, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure? Because I don't really think that people would consider that one of the causes of loneliness. But it is. Come on in the room on tonight. I'm so thankful for all your loves, all your subscriptions, all your likes, all your shares. Go ahead and take your screenshot. I'm trying to hurry up and get to work because I have so much information and intel to tell you on tonight as we continue part 10 of this World War Me series already approaching almost 200,000 views. Thank you guys so much. And I pray that tonight, I pray that tonight's message brings forth healing, brings forth clarity. We're talking about confronting loneliness, confronting loneliness. And I could not compartmentalize this to compartmentalize this to just one foundational scripture. So we have two. So if you would, for those that have Bibles while you're watching me, let's go to Leviticus chapter 15. When the last time you heard your pastor say Leviticus? <laughs> Go to Leviticus chapter 15. We're going to read verses 19, 19 through 25. And then also pre-mark your Bible to Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 28. Leviticus chapter 15 is where we're going to launch our reading. It says, if a woman has a discharge and the discharge from her body is blood, she shall... Be set apart seven days, and whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. Everything that she lies on during her impurity shall be unclean. Also, everything that she sits on shall be unclean. Whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And whoever touches anything that she sat on shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If anything is on her bed or anything on which she sits, when he touches it, he shall be unclean until evening. And if a man lies with her at all so that her impurity is on him, he shall be unclean seven days and every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, other than at the time of her customary impurity, or if it runs beyond her unusual time of impurity, all the days of her unclean discharge shall be as the days of her customary impurity. She shall be unclean. So now, Mark chapter 5, all of this is set up. Mark chapter 5, verse 25, it says, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus... She came behind him in the crowd and touched the hem or his garment, depending on your translation. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Our clause of concern, our verse of consideration, verse 28. For she said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I know 
I will be made well. God, would you perform surgery on the night? The areas in our life that the enemy is trying to bring forth the chains of us being tired and lonely. We are praying, oh God, that you help us shake those things loose. Because you are a master physician. Anoint me as my typical request to be your PA system, the soundtrack of heaven. Your spokesman. In Jesus' name, everybody who agrees with that prayer, and I hope you're ready, and I hope you fastened on your seatbelts. Go ahead and get your box of Kleenex. Somebody going to be cutting some onions. Would you drop the comment in the room? Amen. Amen. For she said to herself, if I could just touch... I have a sneaky suspicion that there's somebody watching this message that that's what you're wanting. If I could just touch and if I can get God to just touch me, if he could just touch my mind, if he could just touch my marriage, if he could just touch my children, if he could just touch my family, if he could just touch my health, if I could just touch his clothes, I know that I will be made well. Ladies and gentlemen, what we are dealing with in this particular passage in our foundational text is a woman who has an issue of blood for 12 years. And even though this is just the introduction of this message, I right here could pause for the cause of giving God thanks because I'm thankful that God does not know me by my issue, but he knows me by my name. I'll clap right there for that. Because there's some people who only label you by your issue. That's so-and-so the alcoholic. That's so-and-so the stripper. That's so-and-so the gangbanger. That's so-and-so the adulterer. But I'm thankful on tonight that God does not know me by my issue, but he knows me by my name. This, this woman has this issue for 12 years. My God, and every lady who's watching this, I know you could be touched. Could you imagine having your cycle for 12 years? Your period for 12 years, not 12 minutes, not 12 weeks, not 12 months. I'm talking about 12 years. That's first grade through senior year of high school, 12 years. And the Old Testament lets us know if anybody has this condition, they are considered unclean. So she is the original person to ever feel what it feels like to be quarantined. <laughs> See, some of us, you are suffering and you're plagued by loneliness. But could you imagine being socially distant since 2008? Could you imagine being considered unclean and quarantined since 2008? 12 years with this issue. Could you just imagine how loneliness had to bang on the door of her heart? Loneliness. This woman very much so knows what it feels like to be lonely. She can't touch. She can't be touched. You can't touch her clothes. You can't touch her dress. You can't touch her outfit. You can't borrow her shoes. You can't touch her hat. You can't even sit on her bed. Matter of fact, if you sit in a place that she has sat in, you have to quarantine yourself. This woman has to know what loneliness feels like. Loneliness must have been her roommate. It must have been her shadow. And for a lot of us, this is our reality. We may not have an issue of blood, but we are very much bleeding. 
We're very much bleeding and we're bleeding alone. Yeah, we're, we're bleeding due to that divorce. We're bleeding due to that breakup. We're bleeding due to that molestation. We're bleeding due to that rape that we never talked about. We're bleeding due to what our father did. We're bleeding due to what our father didn't do. We're bleeding due to what happened last Thanksgiving. We're bleeding due to what our mother said. We're bleeding due to what our cousin did. We're bleeding due to church hurt. We're bleeding. Some of us are bleeding due to self-inflicted wounds from our pride. And so you cut off everybody. You cut off your mama. You cut off your pastor. You cut off your church. You cut off your brother. I don't even know why you have contacts in your phone. <laughs> because you cut everybody off. And I want you to understand that there is a difference between being lonely and being isolated. We're going to unpack this on tonight. For some of us, the reason you feel loneliness is because there is a violation of the Sabbath principle. All you do is work, 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 and work, 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 work. You work so much and you work so hard that you never make time for you. There is no recreational activity. There is no leisure. There is no hobby. The violation of this Sabbath principle is in full implementation. And so when something like COVID happens, when something like a pandemic happens and it interrupts your world and turns your routine upside down and interrupts everything that you thought was normal, it shows how you have been violating this Sabbath principle. And loneliness stands in your living room every single night you come home from work stands in your living room with a cup of coffee and a danish and it tells you i'm still here i'm still here what 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 you thought you could work me away <laughs> you thought you could hustle me away you thought you could grind me away all that was was avoidance but it wasn't true deliverance i'm, I'm still very much here, the, the violation of this Sabbath principle to where in our life, the recreational part of ourself is in a drought. In our life, the rest part of ourself is in a drought and it bleeds over into us being exhausted. And oh, how dangerous it is for the Christ follower to be exhausted. How dangerous it is for the pastor to be exhausted. I'm talking to somebody on the night. How dangerous it is for the husband to be exhausted, for the father to be exhausted, for the woman to be exhausted, for the wife to be exhausted, for the son to be exhausted, because it will bleed over into us having exhausted faith. And the enemy knows when you walk around with prolonged tiredness, when you walk around exhausted, you will exchange your birthright for some stew. Ask Esau. I'm trying to help somebody on the night. I'm trying to get us to shake off the chains that the enemy has put on us that has us plagued by loneliness to where we're depressed, we're oppressed, and we're stressed, and we keep giving crumbs to people in the area of our lives where we should be giving loaves. Crumbs to our children and crumbs to our spouse. We give our spouse our leftover. We give ministry our leftover. We give God our leftovers. And every time we pray, we're praying, giving God our leftover strength instead of our first fruit honor. The violation of this, this Sabbath principle to where we're exhausted is why a lot of us are experiencing Loneliness. Another reason a lot of us are played by loneliness is because we have yet to discover the reason of our birth. We have yet to discover the reason of our birth. What if I told you that some of us are mislabeling it? 
Some of us are mislabeling our soul's quest and our soul's desire to discover purpose as loneliness. But it's really your soul saying, there must be more than this. I'm talking about whoever's watching this message, that lack of fulfillment that you feel, that tension on the inside, this gnawing in your soul, this this thing that you really can't articulate in your soul. It is your inward alarm. It is your inward alarm blaring the siren. Why am I here? Why am I here? Why am I here? Why am I here? And so you feel as though I need something. I need something to cure my loneliness. And like this woman with the issue of blood, she sought out many physicians. And that's what we do. We try to make relationships be our physicians. But I'm here to tell you that a relationship won't cure your loneliness. Marriage won't cure your loneliness. It will expose it. I'm trying to help you on the night. Some of the loneliest people I've ever met, some of the loneliest people I've ever counseled are married. It's not about company. It's It's about calling. And so you're constantly feeling this this loneliness on the inside and you're trying to use that relationship to be your physician. And this is how you end up being clingy. Where are you going? I want to go with you too. How come you didn't invite me? Wait, I want to go. I want to watch the movie. What they're really saying is you're supposed to be my cure. You're supposed to cure me of this bleeding. You're supposed to cure me of this loneliness. And every single time you don't call me, every single time you don't want to cuddle and watch the movie with me, it makes me think that you want the proper physician. And this woman with the issue of blood, she has the same issue. Let's look at verse 26 of our foundational text. In Mark chapter 5, look at this. Verse 26, it lets us know that this particular woman was dealing with her issue so much so to where she says, and I have suffered many things from many physicians. And she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse because she was trying to have several different people be her physician. We're looking for weed to be our physician. We're looking for relationships to be our physician. We're looking for alcohol to be our physician. We're looking for the clubs to be our physician. But none of them could truly treat your loneliness. And I'm trying to give you a perspective. You could be in the middle of a crowd and still feel lonely. Still feel unseen. And this is why relationships haven't worked. The drugs haven't worked. The substances haven't worked. And you don't need to try to get back, get back at people. You don't need to try to get even. How about this? Don't get even, get healed. <laughs> don't get even, get healed. And I just feel like I'm a man possessed with the spirit on the night to deliver this message for part 10 of this World War of Me series. Let's talk around this topic, confronting loneliness. Confronting loneliness. Can I get somebody to drop the comment in the room? I'm ready. I'm ready. Confronting loneliness. I broke my finger. Broke my finger. This is a true story. 15 years old, after school, an open gym, playing basketball. It was a bad pass, came my way. I still tried to, I still tried to grab the ball, but the way the ball hit my finger, just 
boom, I felt this pain, and this one, this one hit different. Like this message is hitting you. <laughs> That's like that ball did my finger. This one was hitting different. This, this doesn't just feel like a sprain. This, this doesn't just feel like a jam. I'm feeling a shocking, in like excruciating pain feeling in my hand, and I don't want to look down. I look down, and I see that my middle finger is slightly crooked. And so then I try to hide it. I try to fight back tears because I'm in excruciating pain. I don't want my boys to see me cry. I don't want the cheerleaders to see me cry. I don't want the girls to see me cry. I don't want the coach to see me cry, so I'm trying to hide it. Isn't it crazy how we try to hide our pain? How we try to hide our pain, but something is really broken. Something is really broken. And I've heard this dialect since I was a little boy. Suck that up. Why are you crying over that? You acting like a little sissy. All girls wouldn't even cry over that. Man up. Man up. That don't hurt. You know what that did? All that did was classically condition a generation of men that do not know how to express themselves without this false sense of macho masculinity, without us thinking that our man card is questioned because we can't say that hurt. And so we have a generation of men and women who have perfected big smiles but have broken souls. So my friends ran over. They grabbed my finger and they said, oh, man, you just jammed it. You just jammed it. Yeah, I, I jammed my finger too. And then I did the dumbest thing in the world. I gave my hand to my friends. And so you know what they attempted to do? Pop it back in place and pop my finger. And just like this woman with the issue of blood, all that did was make the condition worse. And I learned at the tender age of 15, never allow someone who hasn't addressed their brokenness to try to fix yours. You haven't even addressed your brokenness, but you're trying to fix mine. You know what I did? I took their word for it. It's jammed. Never went to see a doctor. It wasn't until years later, getting a physical, that I was telling my doctor about it, that he told me, oh, that, that was broke, but your finger just healed broken. And I'm trying to deliver this message so that we don't have people who try to heal broken. But we need to submit to the process because what the master physician is going to do is pop it back in place. It's going to be painful. It's going to be uncomfortable. You're not going to like it. But it's better to get popped back in place than to heal crooked. So I, I listened to my friends. Never saw a doctor. And you know what I did, y'all? I adjusted. I adjusted to the pain. Who am I preaching to? I adjusted to the pain. I've adjusted to the anxiety. I've just adjusted to the abuse. I've just adjusted to the narcissistic behavior. I've just adjusted to the trauma. I've just adjusted to the pain. And I never cried out to help. I've just adjusted. I wonder, are you, anybody watching this message, have you adjusted to what God wants you to confront? Adjust it. All that does, when you adjust the pain, all that does is incubate dysfunction. All it does is incubate dysfunction and it teaches us how to be emotionally numb. 
just adjusting, adjusting to trauma, adjusting to not being able to express yourself, adjusting to pain, hiding your tears, adjusting to survival. Do you understand that God did not cosmically create you, have you in your mother's womb for nine months, sitting on her sciatic nerve, causing her ankles to swell up, having hours of labor just to give birth so that you could be average, so that you could be typical, so that you could be mundane? You were not born to just survive. You were born to thrive. But when you live life as a survivalist, when you live life as a survivalist, this is the fastest way to lower your standards. Because bare minimum feels like royal treatment when you live on a survival level. Just just surviving and adjusting to pain. Adjusting to being emotionally numb. Adjusting and now you have a heart that's suffocated and it feels like your heart can't breathe. My heart can't breathe. My feelings can't breathe. My thoughts can't breathe. And so here I am gasping for air under the knee of injustice and mental warfare. And so now I'm plagued by loneliness. But what if I told you that loneliness and being alone are not synonymous? Yeah, loneliness and being alone are not synonymous. In fact, Jesus spent several time throughout his ministry tenure deliberately seeking out places of solitude. (laughs) He deliberately sought out time to be alone. So this lets me know that loneliness is not always due to the absence of people, but could loneliness be due to the absence of thanksgiving? Hmm. let's, Let's look at this. I want you guys to see this because you cannot have a heart of gratitude and a heart of pity at the same time. And maybe I'm trying to get you to understand that one of the causes of loneliness is because I don't have a heart of thankfulness. Let's look at this. I want you to see this. I'm gonna give you several scriptures. The first one we're gonna go to is Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, we're going to launch at verse 12. Jesus hears about John the Baptist being being beheaded. He hears about his cousin being dead. They killed his cousin, and this is the part that we're, we're coming to. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 12, it says, Then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it, and went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there, By boat, look at this, to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the city. I want you to get this. Please get this. This is so powerful. Something happens and Jesus is like, I need a moment. I need a moment. Nothing's wrong with that. Grief is difficult. He's like, I need a moment. And he allows himself to be in a deserted place by himself. But the very next part of that verse says, but the people followed him. Watch this. He could not stay in loneliness due to his purpose. He couldn't stay there even though something hurt, even though he needed a moment. He couldn't die there. He couldn't just wallow there. He couldn't just remain there because his purpose was calling. His ministry was calling. His assignment was calling. His calling was calling. And so because his purpose was calling him, it caused for him to come out of that place when he was, where he was by himself. Do you have anything that calls you out of being alone? Do you have anything that calls you out when you're lonely? Because right here I see that Jesus' assignment, Jesus' calling and his destiny calls for him to come out of a deserted place. So good, y'all. Matthew 14, verse 23. 
It says, and when he has sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by, look at this, himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was what? Alone there. Another example, Jesus is deliberately seeking out time to be alone because you could be alone and not lonely. And you could be in the crowd and lonely. Luke chapter 5, verse 15, look at this. However, the report went around concerning him and all the more and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often, can I get somebody to drop that in the room? Often, he himself often withdrew into the wilderness. <laughs> Some of us hate the wilderness. You in the wilderness season right now, but Jesus often put himself in the wilderness to pray. Jesus sought out solitude to be refueled. Because when you are living a life in purpose, it requires for you to pour. I think the, the question on the floor and the quintessential question is, what are you pouring? When you are in purpose, it requires for you to pour. So when I'm alone, me being alone is rejuvenating because I have a lifestyle of pouring. <laughs> what are you pouring? Have you poured out your passion? Have you poured out your peace? And also, help me, God, have you poured out your heart to people who are attached to you but not assigned to you? There is a difference. People who are assigned to you help you complete tasks. But people who are attached to you want to benefit from the task that you have completed. When you're in purpose and you pour, being alone is rejuvenating. When you're not in purpose, you can't pour, so being alone is aggravating. For one person, when you're alone, it's refreshing. It's my reset button. But for the other person, when you're alone, it's frustrating and it's aggravating. Because being alone and being alone, being alone and being lonely are not the same thing. When you are alone, you have mastered how to play your solo. But when you are lonely, you won't even play your solo because you want to duet. So I believe the Spirit gave me five reasons on what causes loneliness. Let's unpack this together. I'm trying to teach and trying to help somebody on the night. The first reason or the first cause of loneliness is due to childhood. Yes, sir. You watching? Yes, ma'am. It's due to childhood. Upbringing has a lot to do with one taking on the nature of being a loner. If you grew up in a house and there was not a lot of affection, you didn't get the kisses, you didn't get the hugs, you didn't get the embrace, you didn't get the I'm so proud of you son, I'm so proud of you daughter. If you really didn't get that or if you had an overcritical parent, you gotta make straight A's. You gotta catch every pass. You gotta make every free throw. You gotta start on varsity. What happens is a lot of us, we're in a place where we haven't recognized that parental wounds lead to emotional tombs. And there's somebody watching this message in your adulthood, you're trying to resurrect what should have never have been killed. Because you had this overcritical parent and you know what that did? Now, I don't want to do relationships. I don't really want to be alone, 
But I'm scared to do relationships because what if I don't perform well or what if I let them down or what if I don't make an A like I did for my dad and he was so disappointed. And so I'd rather be alone than embrace the discomfort of taking off every layer that was put on me in childhood. I'd rather be alone than embrace every layer and take off every layer that happened to me in middle school. I'd rather be alone than take off every layer of how I've been formed and constructed by my parents that happened to me in high school. I'd rather be alone than embrace the discomfort of taking off all the layers of college. I'd rather be alone because my upbringing has taught me how to perform and I'm scared of your rejection and if I don't perform well and if I don't perform at the level of your love I don't want to feel that pain because I know what it was like when I felt my dad disappointed in me. I know what it was like when my daddy wasn't even there so now I just grew up being a loner. I'm trying to help somebody on the night. You got to be able to embrace that my parents did do the best that they could do. They did do the best that they could do, but that's not who I want to be. I want to enjoy kingdom, holistic community, fellowship, and relationships without feeling the bondage of how you raised me. And so I have to let it go. And so sometimes you got to create boundaries even with your family. Look, here's the crazy thing. Unhealthy people think you're holding a grudge, but you're like, no, that's not a grudge. That's a boundary. Mm -mm. That's not a grudge. That's a boundary. Because every single time you come around, you almost resurrect what I'm trying to keep in the grave. I need to say that again. Every single time you come around, this is for somebody who has a boyfriend. This is for somebody who has a girlfriend. Or this is somebody who's dealing with some parental trauma from a parent. Identify that every single time they come around, they seem to almost resurrect what I'm trying to keep in the grave. Childhood is a reason why. A lot of us are plagued by loneliness. And the church many times has had this sense of you have to perform. And if we know your dirt and we know your flaw, you're a sinner, we punish you because we know your area of your struggle. But this is the crazy thing. I'm not saying that if you don't know somebody's sin, you don't deal with it. Because the Bible lets us know that, hey, restore your brother and, see your brother and sister in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself. But when Jesus was approached... By the Pharisees, and they knew somebody's issue, he said, yo, he who without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. So if you're part of a community or a church that's stoning people, Jesus ain't there. You're going to get some emails on that one. It's okay. Jesus not there. You could deal with them, disciple them, restore them, but we don't stone them. Y'all remember the old school Baptist churches used to put a chair up in the front and have them come sit in the front because they were the one that got caught in the issue? If we knew what you did a few hours, sir, if we knew what you did a few hours ago, let's project your text messages on the screen. Let's have all the stuff that's in your DMs, every DM that you sent, let's have that projected on the LED screen, and let's see should you be sitting in this chair too. That's too real, right? <laughs> That's too real. That's why Jesus said, hey, he who without sin, go ahead, cast the first stone. Loneliness due to childhood. The second reason, I believe, or the second cause of loneliness is due to transition. New season, new school, new job, 
loss of a loved one. So now you have transitioned from married to widow or even the transition from being a new mother. You would be surprised how many mothers, new mothers struggle with loneliness, especially single parented mothers. Can I please put you down? Sleep is a privilege. I just nursed you. I just fed you. I just changed my shirt and then you threw up on this one so you change again and they throw up on this one so you don't even wipe, you don't even like change clothes from throw up no more. You just wipe it off because you're probably going to do it again. Did you just poo poo again? I just changed your diaper. I just missed taking a bath. I just want to be able to have a moment and you better have a change of outfits in the baby bag because they might poo poo through this outfit and then that outfit and then if you believe in pacifiers where's the pacifier I know I put two or three pacifiers in here and where's your sock your favorite words are no I no I no the weight of transition <laughs> and a lot of us don't know how to transition so we feel alone because we have forgotten that this too shall pass the third cause of loneliness i was like holy spirit are you sure because this one don't really sound like an issue of loneliness like yeah this this is an issue of loneliness and i want you to preach it so i'm being obedient it may hit you all in the neck it might be different but you know another reason another cause of loneliness self-centeredness yeah i know it's a curveball right perhaps you're lonely Due to self, self-centeredness. This might mess you up, but a lot of times loneliness is caused and birthed through envy, self, self-doubt, comparison, and self-centeredness. Well, they have this and I don't. Well, man, if I had what they had, man, my life would be so much better if, man, they got this and I don't have this. Man, I wish I had this like them. Man, I wish I had this like them. I wish I had this house like them. I wish I had a husband like them. I wish I had a marriage like them. I wish I had this like them. I wish I had that like them. I wish I had this like them. And so your mind is constantly swirling with all the stuff that you don't have and all the stuff that you want and all the stuff that you desire and all the stuff that failed and all the stuff that hasn't worked out. And so now there's a mental aerobics of all the stuff that's causing yourself to be magnified in your place of loneliness because you're so caught up with what they have and you're so caught up with what you don't have that you don't even recognize that he has you you're so caught up with self that you can't even rejoice see listen I I want you to see this you have to see this 2 Corinthians chapter 10 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 10, because we have to understand the control center of loneliness is tied to our meditations, all right? And it orbits around our thoughts. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it says, casting down arguments. Pause. Hold up. Wait a minute. Let's break this down. The Bible says, casting down. This is why you should have a prayer life. So let's do a little practice. Everybody watching this. Focus on me. Everybody watching this, I want you to picture a lion in your mind. Like, I'm going to wait. Like, I'm really going to wait. Picture a lion in your mind. Okay, cool. You did that. All right. Now, I want you to picture a tiger in your mind. Did you do that? You just showed me that you have the power to change your thoughts. You just showed me that you have the power to change how you think. Just right then. It wasn't deep. You saw a lion, Mufasa, 
and then you saw a tiger, Shere Khan. You were able to see a different image that quick. And so right here, when it says casting down, this is why you have to have a prayer life. Because I don't know if you ever actually have developed a prayer life, but in the beginning, you're constantly casting down. Man, I'm hungry. Man, how long is this going to be on? Man, I hope I don't miss the game. Man, who is that texting me? All doing prayer, you're casting down thoughts. You're casting down thoughts. You're casting down thoughts. You're casting down thoughts. So if you do this every day, you're going to train your mind to focus. Prayer causes for your mind to practice casting down and to focus on communion with God. It says casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Look at this. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Could you be lonely due to how you think? Magnifying all the stuff that you don't have that you don't have anymore, that you used to have, and magnifying everything that they have, but you don't. Whatever you focus on will always be magnified. Number four, these parts messed me up. Another cause of loneliness is a serving deficiency. Serving deficiency. This is for the individual. You have a nice house. You have a career. Your bank account looks nice. You could be married or unmarried. You have a nice car. You have healthy children. You have health in your body. But you still feel this hollow emptiness. It's like, what in the world? I don't even understand why I'm tripping. I, I have so many things. I have so much wealth. I, I have a good position. I have many degrees. I, I'm in a CEO position. I'm in a board position on a job. I'm making a lot of money. My family's okay. My children okay. But I'm not okay. It's because... You, ma'am, you, sir, have a serving deficiency. Who could benefit from your wealth? Oh, here we go. Who, who could benefit from that raise? Who could benefit from the extra car that you have sitting in the driveway, but there's another high school student down the street that has to walk miles to get to school? Who could benefit from what you do have? And so many times we're so self-absorbed, we're so caught on ourselves, so caught up with ourselves and what we don't have, that we're not serving. I promise you, please hear me. I'm giving you secrets of the kingdom. The fastest way to get God to move on your behalf is for you to stop focusing on your situation, but to start focusing on the situation of somebody else. I don't know, maybe if it's just making masks, if it's making masks and dropping them off at high school or dropping them off at a middle school and say, hey, I know y'all are starting school for certain people who are doing in-person training. I created some masks. Whatever it is, put your hands to the plow. Maybe the reason you're so lonely is because your life is for yourself. And the key to be free from this is to live a life of giving it away. A life of generosity. Let's look what the word says. Try to always give you Bible to corroborate this. Luke chapter 6, verse 38, it says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your what? Bosom. It doesn't say bank. Into your bosom. So when you give, God's going to make sure that things are given back to you. And you usually reap in the area that you sow. 
Y'all miss what I just said. You usually reap in the area that you sow. There's so much teaching that always just assigns giving to just money. But you can give of your time. You can give of your hands. And whatever area you usually sow in is the area that you're going to reap in. So that if I sow to my flesh, in my flesh, I'm going to reap destruction. But if I sow to the spirit, in my spirit, I'm going to reap life. And maybe the reason that I keep on giving and keep on reaping loneliness is because I keep planting seeds that help the crops of loneliness grow. Give your life away. Someone watching this, you're like, I have a dog, I have a therapist, (laughs) I have a class of exercise, I have aerobic class, but I still feel lonely. It's because you need to exercise giving. Giving. Number five, another reason of loneliness is deliberate Sin, deliberate sin. Sin creates spiritual loneliness because it separates us from God. And anytime we live a life with unrepented sin, continuous sin, this is why every single time you have sex with him, you feel empty on the inside. It didn't fulfill you. The orgasm was all right. I didn't even say all right. It was all right, but you still feel that sense of loneliness. This is how you can have sex with woman after woman, but you still feel lonely because deliberate sin creates spiritual distance. And a lot of us, there are things (laughs) that we need to repent for. That's why you're feeling lonely. Maybe, sir, the reason in your marriage you feel so lonely is because you found her, but you kept looking. Mm. You found her, and you kept on looking. And so now you engage in some level of sin, and that sin is creating this spiritual loneliness. God's saying, just get that to me. I die for that. I'm not stoning you. Give that to me. I died for that because I'm the only one that can give you true fulfillment. So how do we overcome loneliness? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to end with these two. We overcome loneliness, point number one, with the weapon of thanksgiving. The weapon of thanksgiving. Please hear me. The way I think is tied to the way I thank. The more I thank, it will bleed over into how I think. So if I begin to thank God for my health, if I begin to thank God that I have soundness of mind, that I, if I begin to thank God that I could sleep in my own bed and I didn't have to sleep in a hospital on tonight, or if you are in a hospital, at least I still have awareness. At least I still know who I am. At least I can still brush my teeth. At least I still have the use of my limbs. At least I still have a pulse. And as long as I have a pulse, this means God has a plan. Even hell knows your potential. This is why he attacks you and this is why he hits you because he doesn't want you to discover your divine sweet spot. And when you live a life of thanksgiving, that's a weapon towards loneliness because I can't have a heart filled with gratitude and a heart filled with loneliness at the same time. The way you think will dictate the way you think. And the more I thank, the more it bleeds over into how I think. This woman she had to begin to think to herself, man, if, if I just touch the hem of his garment. She didn't care about what we read in Leviticus. She knew the risk. She knew that everything I touch is unclean. Everywhere I lay is unclean. 
I've been quarantined. The doctors made me worse. I've lost all my money. So she's probably anemic as well because she's weak, because she's constantly keep bleeding. She's hemorrhaging. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to try Jesus. I've tried everything else. I've heard about this man. I've heard about his miracle working power. I've heard about the power of God. And I'm tired of being alone. I'm tired of crying myself to sleep. I'm tired of the tissue box being my best friend. I'm tired of my eyes being bloodshot red. I'm tired of the ceilings counseling me every single night because I can't sleep and nothing seems to be working I'm gonna try Jesus and just like this woman I'm trying to convince you pursue your savior pursue your king pursue the Lord of hosts pursue the Lord of glory pursue the lily out of the valley pursue the lion of the tribe of Judah if you can pursue him she says you know what I'm gonna risk it I've tried everything else I've tried relationships I've tried doctors I spent all I had but I'm gonna take the risk and I'm gonna try to do what this preacher says I'm gonna pray I'm gonna fast I'm gonna follow the word of God. I'm going to repent of all sins of my life. I'm going to give everything I have. She reached the level of desperation. And you got to get desperate to be free from this. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. She pushed through the crowds and she touched the hem of his garment. I think she had to be crawling. Crawling either due to it being so crowded or crawling due to she's so weak. But she was giving everything she has. She was giving all her strength. Love the Lord your God with all your might, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your being. She was giving it everything she had. And in the midst of a crowd touching Jesus, he says, who touched me? Lord, everybody's touching you. No, there's something different about this touch. No, there is faith behind this touch. No, there is somebody who wants to be free. This is a different type of touch. This is the type of touch that's going to make me pause from going to Jairus' house because he needs me to lay my hands on his daughter. This is a different type of touch, and I'm going to stop what I'm doing. Aren't you thankful that you serve a God that he knows, oh, no, my daughter needs me. There's a different type of touch. No, my son needs me. There's a different type of touch. And if you will reach out and if you have faith, my daughter, your faith has made you whole. Weapon of thanksgiving. And what we're going to deal with on Sunday, point number two, calling and purpose. What we read in Matthew chapter 12, when Jesus went to a deserted island, a deserted place by himself, the text says, when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the city. There is just a freedom you get when you know your purpose. And on Sunday, I'm going to try to unpack and try to help you discover the reason of your birth because I'm telling you that's the number one way to be free from loneliness is you have to know your calling. Listen to this. When you know your purpose, it helps you in every area of your life. It helps you with picking a spouse because now when you know your purpose, you pick on purpose. You pick on purpose. You eat on purpose. You go places on purpose. Even I could find you attractive, but I'm not attracted to you because you're not conducive for my purpose. This is why the enemy spends so much time trying to get you to focus on your problems because if you ever discover your purpose, you're going to become his problem. And he doesn't want you to become his problem because purpose is a fixer. Purpose is a fixer. There's the reason that you're here, the reason that you're watching this message, the reason that you're on planet earth is because there is some problem in the earth that you're supposed to fix so that when you and I die, certain problems should no longer exist because you're actively engaged in purpose. I don't know, it could be breaking something off your bloodline. I don't know, it could be breaking a generational cycle. I don't know, it could be birthing the ministry. I don't know, it could be 
birthing a book that's supposed to reach somebody that's going to cause them to birth a mission trip. You don't know and I don't know. But if I can get you to discover your purpose, if I can get you to discover that there is oil on this area of your life, what is oil? There is anointing. You have a divine sweet spot. And if I could discover why I'm born, why God put me here, what is my assignment, what is my calling, then that will cure me from loneliness because I can't stay in loneliness when the multitudes are calling because I have an assignment to do. I have to preach the gospel and I got to get to the cross. So God, would you help us go to war with our loneliness? Would you help us to be able to identify the areas in our life that strengthening loneliness, rather if it's my thought patterns, me not knowing why I've been born, a relationship that keeps on trying to resurrect what I need to keep in the grave, or my upbringing, or if it's my self-centeredness, or me not serving, whatever it is, God, shine a light on that area of where I'm plagued by loneliness because it was never your will that I live a life of surviving, but it is your will that I live a life of thriving. And understand that being alone does not mean I'm lonely. Help me have fulfillment in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.